0: Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there is something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy.
1: guys welcome back to becoming buffy this is our spoiler section for beauty and the beasts uh just a reminder to all of you guys who are new to the podcast and for those of you returning this is our spoiler section we will be talking about everything buffy related and also including with the show angel so if you have not seen all of either of one of those then i would highly recommend just tuning in next time but if not feel free to listen we'd love to have you guys here All right. So I – this episode is really funny because it is very – Context heavy. Yeah. yeah, This is such a a, a, like episodic episode, which sounds, you know, redundant, but you know what I mean. It's the first one we've had of the season really. And so it feels really weird to be going back to like dissect an individual episode even though it kind of does like – into the rest of the season after, like, you know, Anne and Dead Men's Party and Faith, Hope, and Trick. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, we're talking about these two characters, and we're also talking about Buffy's trauma too, but it, it just felt like a – not a jarring episode, but it just kind of felt like a little bit of a, oh, here we are again. Like, this feels like a season two episode in a lot of ways, but I kind of enjoyed it. There's no,
0: like, lasting effect from this. Like, this episode is kind of just, like, the culmination of the past two episodes coming together. But it's it doesn't really have a ton of effect on the future.
2: It sets up a ton, but it's not like it's like really pivotal. Unless you like count like the last like five minutes when she sees Angel. But then even so, then she doesn't even really talk to him until the next episode.
1: Yeah, it's hard because I feel like we could have gone somewhere a little bit deeper with Oz. I feel like this episode is probably the biggest – Or I should say, I feel like this episode is the most epic Oz episode in his werewolf transition and like in his storyline. But it feels like it's just maybe a slightly deeper rehash of phases, which is my biggest complaint about it.
2: I wasn't going to say this on like the normal version of the episode. Um, I think my the only thing that I can complain about in this episode – Um, It's the fact that they try to do a ton of things in the episode and then try to make it like sort of a Oz-centric-ish episode, but then also focusing on like aspects of Angel, aspects of, I guess, monster men in general and like all these other things. They just try to do a lot of different things. Um, which I think they did all the things really well. But I think that if we're going to have an Oz-centric episode, they need to focus solely on Oz. And I think this stuff they tried to do in phases, they did much better in this episode. But I think since we already had phases, it's a little bit like, oh.
0: No, I agree with you, Tabs. And I, I think, honestly, one of my bigger beefs with the show is simply the fact that I feel like Oz and his character was not really given the justice it deserves. I mean, and we'll talk about his arc in season four and stuff, and we all have our opinions on that. But, like, just in general, it's, like, Oz was built up to be such a cool and awesome character in, like, season three. And then it's, like, in season four, I just feel like he just goes nowhere. And it's just really sad because it's, like, when we do get, quote-unquote, Oz-centric episodes, it still doesn't feel like Oz is at the center of the episode, which is just very frustrating.
1: Yeah, it's, it sucks because in a lot of ways, Oz could have been what Angelus and Angel were because you had, you know, Angel doesn't remember what happens when he's Angelus and he wreaks all this havoc and then comes back and he has to deal with the repercussions of that. Now, imagine let's break it down to a smaller scale and have that be Oz. I think that'd be really cool if, like, you know, he, he wakes up and is like oh somebody died I Kinda was like gonna what say that. this episode but let's go even deeper what if he actually killed someone you mm-hmm. know because in phases it was like oh we think he killed That'd someone no he didn't and this one oh we think he killed someone no he mm-hmm. didn't it was like okay well let's actually have him kill someone and then let's maybe hold Xander accountable for not for not like making sure the window shut or something I don't know this episode could have just gone a lot deeper and I do appreciate the, the theme that they went with, which, you know, was, um, abuse and relationships, which is totally a, a, a really good theme to talk about. But it, I think I agree with you tabs. I think there was a lot that was going on. And so once again, it felt like, It feels like the writers throughout the series don't feel like Oz is interesting enough to be able to carry even his own episode where the arc is completely about him because technically even phases is not fully about Oz. It's, you know, it's Larry, it's Xander, it's, you know, everybody else. Well, also just like toxic masculinity. That was basically
2: like the idea of it, you know, and this one's just like a different font of that same idea.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And so that was my biggest thing. I mean, I definitely love the epic Oz moment we we get where he's like, time's up, rules change. is very, very cool. But it's sad because it's like, okay, and then this is like one of the last episodes we're going to see of him being a werewolf until we get, you know, Wild at Heart, and Newman rising and yeah. So kind of a bummer, but overall, like not a bad episode. There's yet another nod to a potential gay Xander. We have Xander talking about how he can handle Oz naked. This scene, I felt like, really leaned into both Willow and Xander being possibly gay, setting up for season four. You can tell Joss is still not quite sure which direction he's going to go. And it's always kind of interesting going back and looking at this episode or even the episodes leading up to season four and kind of seeing all these little Easter eggs that never really went anywhere. And another thing too is, so I know next week we're talking about Homecoming, which starts the whole Willow and Xander love triangle. And Leah's giving me disgusted base. (laughs) Leah's like, let's not talk about it before we have Yeah, we'll get there when we get there, man. And I was thinking about how tight of a season this is. And I always forget that Homecoming is next. And that's when everything goes down between the two of them. And there's literally no buildup to it. I really think that if they were going to actually go through with that storyline like they did, they needed to have a little bit more of a buildup between the two of them. And it just feels incredibly jarring that we go from this episode to the next
0: one. I agree. I, I think, I mean, I hate that whole storyline in general. I do think that at least an exploring of Sander and Willow's relationship was needed. But I think the way that it happens is just, such a slimy and awful way that it happens that I just hate it
1: yeah yeah I agree especially because I feel like Cordelia and Oz both get kind of pushed to the back burner a lot at least in the first half of this season well Cordelia really the entire season but right now it feels like she hasn't done much and then this was the episode that was going to be like okay let's see Oz do something and he doesn't really do much either so really is a missed opportunity um okay and so then Faith is in this episode which I always forget about but I love how they do the power dynamic between Faith and Buffy and we're kind of seeing them set the groundwork even now showing how they're both significantly stronger than vampires um and you have Faith when she punches Buffy when she comes in the room unexpectedly and how Buffy's kind of sitting there holding her jaw for a minute and I absolutely love that they're showing from early on that Faith is equal to Buffy in strength Also, this episode is the prime example against people's argument that Faith was not accepted by the Scoobies and that's why she went evil. Because Faith seems really connected with them and is part of their library chats and is helping them fight Oz. Well, fight Oz, like, you know, werewolf Oz and go after Pete and stuff. I think that she really was accepted by the Scoobies, at least initially. And in Homecoming, too. Well,
0: and it's also like they had no reason to not like Faith like in the beginning and to not accept her because they already had experience with Kendra. So they already had like adapted to there being another Slayer besides Buffy. And so I really feel like the transition with Faith was pretty smooth as far as the Scoobies like welcoming her in.
2: Homecoming is also another great example of like her Kind of feeling normal in the group, she like makes like those like awkward jabs at um Scott at homecoming. Like she's like periodically through the episode, and she's normal. She seems like fine, and like everyone seems normal around her.
1: Yeah, and you can tell she's a little possessive of Buffy as her friend. Like, hey, I'm gonna go. Like she goes and tells. uh I forget what she does to Scott and stuff, but she's st- sticking up for her friend and sticking up mm-hmm. for you know her fellow Slayer. And I think that. I really do like the progression that they have with Faith throughout the season, but it always baffles me when people are like, oh, the Scoobies just were not very accepting of her and stuff. I'm like, well, we have amends. Like Buffy invites her to her home even though she kind of doesn't want to, but she still does it and Joyce reaches out to her. Like Faith had yeah. a support network that she could have fallen back on if she absolutely was able to humble herself and do it.
2: It's one of those things where it's it's a bit of projecting on um her side, but then it's also a bit of... What's that called? Oh, self-fulfilled prophecy, where it's like, if you feel left out and you feel isolated and you feel like you're no one's gonna like you, then you're gonna be giving off that energy and then you're gonna be driving yourself away. And so therefore, you're not gonna be as close. And so, and then you're just gonna like, validate your own feelings when you're the one who created them
1: yeah and i think at the end of the day faith has major trust issues due to her upbringing and then what happened with her watcher and then with gwendolyn post and then wesley i mean yeah poor girl just had it rough and it's completely understandable why she went the route she did why she didn't trust the scoobies but i don't think the scoobies should get as much blame or even i guess especially buffy should not get as much blame as people assign them sometimes All right, so let's talk about Pete for a quick second because when we were discussing and analyzing him in the spoiler-free section and we were talking about how, like, he has a soul and yet he's choosing to do all these things, I was like, oh, my gosh, like – this is what they eventually do with Warren. And it's so interesting to see back in season three, them finally take the step of being like, hey, here's a human being. Let's make him evil. Obviously they gave him that demon aspect. So that helps soften the blow a bit. But when we get all the way to season six, Warren is a human being who is absolutely despicable. And it's really interesting to watch them kind of lay down the groundwork now.
0: Well, you've been seeing them slowly integrate that idea of humans are evil as well. Um, Because we saw that with Buffy's friend in the second season who came in, the one with cancer, who was willing to sacrifice everyone. But he was a bit
2: more humanized. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, but he was Mm -hmm. more humanized because he was going through like Mm -hmm. a fatal illness. So you could at least understand where he's coming from, but it still was, you know, an awful thing to do, murder people for your own survival. Um, But then it's like this one, it's like... It's not even for at least a reasonable cause. Like he literally is just doing it because he's abusive. But then it's like then you take it an even step further where it's like Warren doesn't even have any supernatural thing involved. He's just a corrupt person.
2: I think he's techie. That's pretty
1: much it. He's an evil geek. That's what he is.
2: Well, I was going to say like another person I'd throw in there as well from the second season is Ethan Rain, But I think he's mis- used in that spectrum only because again he's in the storyline of Ripper Giles and we never get enough of Ripper Giles so obviously they're not going to go in that direction but I think he's used as more of like a, a foil to Giles and so therefore they don't really kind of dig super much into his character and like we know he does evil stuff but he's more of like a plot device and he is human but then he also kind of like represents like addiction with the spirit spiritual world. So I think there is some sort of like mystical stuff along with it. But he is human. I just think that sometimes he's very underused as a character. I think we should have given him a little bit more of a motive.
1: I think Ethan Rain is actually used perfectly because I feel like if he was used more he he wouldn't be as impactful, I think. I think he would become more of a like the butt of a joke because he is kind of a humorous character in a lot of ways, like especially when we see him in band candy, which I cannot wait for that episode. But I think that Ethan is supposed to show what happens when you are selfish and when you only care for yourself, which is an evilness in and of itself. But there's a difference between someone that is selfish and then just complete pure evil, too, you know? And I think that Warren is really a fascinating look at someone who is selfish, but to the extent where they have absolutely no like emotional control anymore. I feel like. Ethan has at least a little bit of a veneer of at least he wants to look nice, and Warren just doesn't care what people think about at all. I do think it's interesting that everybody kind of hammers home in this episode, like Pete is just like devoid of any goodness, like he's just off. Aw- like they keep they say multiple times, like he's just evil, he's like pure evil. I've never seen such a vicious person. And then we get to season six, and I've never heard the Scoobies or anybody say that about Warren, and yet Warren did some. Terrible, terrible things. And it's just interesting, like how the show changes over time and how, like, us as the viewers, our tolerance for things just kind of goes up. I, to be fair,
2: though, I think there was a lot going on. True, in true. Um, uh, and so they just were like, there's too much happening. Warren is just, you know, another thing added on. But also, they, they didn't know, um, about all the stuff that he was doing to like his ex or like, you know, things like that that are just like, really 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 nasty disgusting stuff and obviously when it comes to the whole like tara thing they had dark willow immediately follow up after that and then they were more focused on the morality of her killing a human rather than focusing on like what warren did if that makes sense but i totally see what you're saying it's like when you're younger and you're like this is wrong you know in the the faith buffy voice you can't do that it's wrong
1: (laughs) So, okay. So, speaking of Ethan Rain, I want to talk about Giles' Ripper Side for a second. Um, so, Giles' Ripper Side could also be seen as a beast of sorts. So, in this episode, you have the Oz Beast, the Angelus Beast, and then the Pete Beast. <laughs> it's a mouthful. And you could even say Giles' Ripper Side is another, it was a fourth aspect. Um, and throughout the series so far, we have kind of seen Giles, whenever he's portrayed, And like I'll give Halloween as an example. Everybody's struggling with identity. They don't know what to do. They don't know who they are. So they put on other people's identities um, in a search for who they are. And Giles is the only one who doesn't, uh, other than Cordelia, but Giles is the only one of the original Scoobies who knows who he is. And he's the one that ends up confronting Ethan and is the one that smashes the – the idol and everything. And so when we did our analysis of Halloween, we talked a lot about how Giles as the adults, he knows who he is. He's secure in himself. And so he's not taken in by Ethan's spell like everybody else. So the show is about adolescence, right? And so it would make sense that Giles would be kind of held up as the example of the opposite of what adolescents are struggling with. So it would be, it's interesting to note that we know that Giles has some sort of a beast or has an aspect of the beast in the sense of his ripper side. Yet Giles has learned how to control it. And this in the metaphor could be because he is an adult. This episode also shows Oz learning how to utilize the wolf side in a useful way and coming to terms with who he is. And we later see that Giles uses his ripper in a controlled way, like when he kills Ben and even when he goes to kill Angelus after Jenny dies. And there's a sense that uh you can get to the point where you're able to control the beast side of yourself to the point where it, you're able to utilize it, or it can become like a useful aspect. I thought that was a really interesting thing to think through and think about because we do see Giles you know, kill Ben. We see Giles do all this other stuff, and we know that this is something he has wrestled with and struggled with. And so I think there is a layer. Obviously, I'm not saying that what Pete did was good. You definitely can't get to the point where you're like, okay, it's okay to beat your girlfriend sometimes. Uh But the idea There is is a line. Yes, there is a line. But the underlying werewolf metaphor has been all about how, you know, males can't control themselves and they just turn into beasts and stuff. And I think I feel like Giles just has a really good balance. And I think he is a really good representation in the show of what it means to grow up to be a healthy and secure adult male. And it's kind of cool to watch him navigate with all these adolescents around him and be like, okay, there is hope that someone can grow up to be you know, healthy and positive. Did any of you guys notice the correlation between the counselor talking about how love becomes your master and your justice dog with Various other episodes throughout the series. Yeah. What is with the metaphor of dogs? I don't really quite get it.
2: <laughs> like, is is it because, like, all men are dogs? I've heard that, like, phrase. I'm like, I just – maybe someone can help me understand. Like, why is that?
1: I think he was trying to say the B word without saying the B word. Ah, uh. You know, because he's a counselor, I think they were like, we're not going to have him swear in front of a young student. But we will have him smoke, you know, because that's, you know, so much better. Even though smoking kills. Yeah, Hmm. exactly. (laughs) Swearing kills too, Leah. Um, But in Fool for Love, obviously it's Fool for Love. It's supposed to kind of allude back to this episode, Spike's whole Or Lover's Walk.
0: Lover's Walk, yeah, that was the other one.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yes. Lisa, I'm mad enough to admit it. So... Let's talk about that for a second. So in Full for Love and Lover's Walk, Buffy's Abusive Season Six Relationship with Spike, it all kind of comes down to this phrase right here. And it's really interesting. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Who wrote this episode? Oh, Marty Knoxon. Mm-hmm, that makes a lot of sense. And Again, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but there is a very consistent pattern of Marty Noxon liking to write about abusive relationships. She does. So in Lover's Walk, it says – she belongs with me. I'm nothing about. I'm nothing without her. Spike's referring to Drusilla. Buffy says, yeah, that I'll have to agree with. You're pathetic. You know that. You're not even a loser anymore. You're a shell of a loser. Spike says, yeah, you're one to talk the last time I looked in on you too. Referring to Buffy and Angel. You were fighting to the death. And now you're back making googly eyes at each other like nothing happened. Makes me want to heave. You're not friends. You'll never be friends. You'll be in love until it kills you both. You'll fight and you'll shag and you'll hate each other until you quiver, but you'll never be friends. Love isn't brains, children. It's blood, blood screaming inside you to work its will. I may be love's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. I'm curious. What are your guys' thoughts on the quote in lover's walk versus fool for love? versus this quote here in this episode and how that ties into the series as a whole.
0: I love the one in... Lover's Walk. That one is beautiful. And I think it purposely like encompasses all that not only Spike is as a character, but also just like Buffy and Angel's relationship as a whole. Like I just think it's beautiful.
2: I think that one's a little tricky for me just because I think it's like a really cool quote. And I really like that the fact that it kind of like just affirms the love that, you know, a love of Bangel. I think like Spike, Spike's whole identity is him being a lover, you know? And so I think that sometimes he can use his intellect to kind of like affirm toxic sides of himself because he, Needs to be loved in return. And so I think like he's very comedic in that aspect for like a few seasons, but I like that they talked about it in a healthy way in this episode. And if you like put all your eggs into love's basket, you're just going to be heartbroken and you're going to become like tied to it. Your identity is going to be tied to it. Therefore, your ups are going to be so high. And then your lows are going to be so low. And that's not a life, you know? Like you have to have identity in yourself. And like, I think everyone who's listened to this knows that. Um, but I also think it's interesting that they'd have a anti-villain kind of play the latter or the former. Um, just because it, it, it makes him interesting. But then it leads to a lot of discussion just because I think there's a lot of fantasies when it comes to that with Spike. But then if you really look at it in a healthy way, you're like, hmm.
1: Things don't quite add up, but it does make yeah. it interesting. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I feel like looking at this quote through the lens of seasons one, two, three, four, and part of five, you see the quote one way. And then once you look at the show through the back half of season five into six and seven, it takes on a whole new meaning. Because this quote, a lot of people use it to define Spuffy as well as Bangel. Because, you know, that's how the show tries. I say tries. I don't say that it is effective. But it does try to write Buffy and Spike that way. The whole, you know, fight, you'll shag, but you'll never be friends because you're going to be in love, that whole thing. We obviously, at least Tabby and I, don't believe that Buffy loved Spike. But, or at least loved him to the degree that she loved Angel. I think it was a different kind of affection. Um, But the thing is, is that, it's very fascinating that the episode that talks all about Spike's origin story is called Fool for Love, which is a play on this quote. And it's showing how everything Spike has done has been in service of what he views to be love. And it has been sometimes misguided, oftentimes misguided. And it has led him to where he is now. In that whole episode, he's talking to Buffy about how he's killed other slayers. But at the end of the day, He's really talking about how he is a fool for Buffy's love. Like, that's what it comes down to. And at the end of the day, Buffy's like, you're beneath me. And I think, and we've talked about it before, I think Spike tends to lose himself in relationships to the point where Spike doesn't even know what his identity is. Because we look at William Pratt, who is this poet and he's rejected by Cecily. So then he goes – like, or Drusilla asks him, hey, like, do you want to become someone? And he's like, God, yes, I do. And so he changes his whole persona and becomes a vampire. And then through his love of Drusilla, he changes his persona to look more like a vicious killer, more like Angelus, simply because he sees that that's what she would desire. And we watch over the course of seven seasons – Spike changes his own persona to turn into something that Buffy loves and Buffy wants. And when Buffy rejects him in Crush and in Fool for Love and in most of season 5, Spike doesn't know what to do with that. He loses himself. And so his only answer is that's why he goes after Buffy with the rifle at the end of Fool for Love because he's like if she can't have me then I like there's nothing left. There's nothing left to do. And so I think it's really fascinating that they were very consistent with Spike's character in showing that he really does lose himself in love and these relationships. I say love, but I don't think it's really love. And yeah, it's just, it's it's incredibly interesting to look all the way back in season three and kind of see him being played off for laughs and everybody's like, you're pathetic. But then, you know, it's carried on all the way through the rest of the series. Okay. So I know that was a tough, tough question. I have another tough question for you guys in that same vein. I'm sorry. So in that same vein, we talked about this in the spoiler-free section, but a review said, unlike most metaphors in Buffy, this one isn't well-masked, nor should it be. When dealing with an issue like abuse or loneliness, I feel like the audience shouldn't have to try and analyze what the message of the episode is. It should be obvious because there's no gray area in such a negative issue. And I really appreciate that for this episode. I think where – I start to feel just kind of sad and frustrated is in season six. We've talked about it before how the spuffy relationship is supposed to be a metaphor for a toxic relationship. Like when they they first have sex, the house coming down around them. But we've talked about before how it's sometimes very frustrating, how the scenes are shot very titillating and sexy. And so the whole metaphor often gets lost underneath this glamorous, oh my gosh, like look how hot these people are and like they're banging and stuff. And you often forget, not all the time, but it, there's a tendency for people to forget that it is a toxic relationship because the metaphor Gets blurred and it's very frustrating. I think that's one of the biggest beefs I have with the later end of the series is that things become not quite so clear. And I know they're trying to be more gray and more nuanced, but when it comes to abuse, when it comes to toxic relationships and all that other stuff, you really have to make it clear. And I feel like that's where Marty Knoxon dropped the ball.
0: I, I agree. I think that certain parts of the spuffy relationship during season six, when it's unhealthy, is a little glamorized. I personally think that most of it is done very interesting. And I think it's done in a way that makes sense because Buffy was in such a low place. And so I personally think that it's done well, but I do think that there were certain parts of it that are a little glamorized and that could have been done better. And I do think that there definitely could, should be more talk about the fact that the relationship in season seven is very toxic. I
2: see where you're coming from, Sarah. My biggest beef is just the fact that Buffy feels so worn down and she's whether or not she's being kind about it is maybe a different thing, but she was honest about how she felt the whole time where she was at. But the fact that he was all butthurt and the victim the whole time made me more mad because then people start – to ship them and feel bad for him, and rewatching season six, the more I watch it, the less I see that the at least how it's presented to me is that Spike is toxic in that in season six. I don't know; they just paint him in a way of like kind of feeling like he's the victim in those situations, um, and I think that's the most frustrating thing for me. Mm, so specifically. do you,
1: do you see that you don't see that as accurate?
2: No, I I do think there are certain situations like dead things is a is a bit of a rough episode. That was my next point. <laughs> was it really?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Go ahead. Here's the thing, and I think I get a little bit frustrated with how they express physical altercations in the Buffyverse. Um, just because I think when it comes to like Buffy and Angel, it was used twice and it was supposed to represent emotional. Tension and desperation. So the one I'm thinking of, the first one is amends when she's trying to Mm -hmm. like, like knock sense into him, being like, do not kill yourself. I need you here. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, it's like a, it's a mutual metaphorical waking each other up sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is in the the crossover episode with An- on Angel with Faith. I don't mm-hmm. remember what that episode is called. And that's supposed to represent them as exes disagreeing on something for the first time and being hurt by each other. And so they're using yes, to physical the altercations yeah. to show the divide mm-hmm. and the pain between both of them. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine with me because there's a purpose, there's a reason, and it's supposed to affect you in a fantastical world. I separate... Obviously, they're not actually going to hit each other. And if this was a real relationship, I would not ship Bangel. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the hitting, the slapping, the abuse that happens between mm-hmm. Buffy and Spike,
0: mm-hmm.
2: season five, season six, and some in season seven, I'm like, why is this here? Like, why? And so I think when – and then all this comes to dead things. When dead things happens,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it, I kind of view it. As the same as um Who Are You? That that season four episode where like mm-hmm. Faith is punching yes. herself and saying, like, like you're disgusting, I hate you, and she's talking yes. about herself. I think it's supposed yes. to mirror that. Um, and so when she's punching Spike, I think that was more for herself. Do I think that's okay? Absolutely not. And I think that's supposed to represent a a different and more like situation only because like Spike is really beaten up after that, like punching out. And I think I just get really mad because I'm like, why'd you put that in there and then show him being the victim out of that situation? It just felt like it was supposed to be a metaphor of him being bruised out of their quote unquote relationship when they could have shown Buffy's pain and hatred of herself in a different way. I don't know if any of that makes any sense, but I just think that physical altercations in the Buffy verse start out, really well done. And then over, over time, it's just like, like in selfless, like Buffy and Speck are like punching each other when he's like in And yeah, she doesn't really know he's in but it's like, why is this happening? Like, what's the point of this punch out? Like, I just don't get it, you know? So I don't know. It's a lot of word vomit.
1: No, that was, that was really good tabs. I totally agree. And I think it's really hard. My next point that I was going to talk about is, you know, Buffy grabs Debbie, faces her in the mirror, and says, look at yourself. Anybody who really loved you couldn't do this to you. And then we have dead things where Spike says, you always hurt the ones you love, pet. And it's just – it's so hard because I agree with you. Like, they make Spike out to be the victim. And I do agree that there are times that Spike can be sympathetic, and I'm not – I'm not trying not to negate that. The hard part is, is that Spike is a soulless vampire. And we've been told since the beginning of season one that soulless vampires are evil things. And so it's very hard. You're very conflicted in this scene when you're watching the vampire slayer beat the soulless vampire, which is literally her job. And yet she's feeling guilty about it. She's hating herself. And yet we're supposed to come on the side of The vampire. And it just gets very hard because I understand that the writers are trying to be subversive. They're trying to go, here's our heroine, here's our main character, here's Buffy, and we're going to hold up a lens to her. We're going to put her through the fire because we want to really like make a deep character or a deep show that has nuance and layers. And we want to just like, we don't want to be that show that's like our character can do no wrong because that's boring. We want to show a flawed character. The problem is, They get to the point where it's like they beat down on Buffy so much (laughs) to the point where we're like, okay, this doesn't feel like this is pleasant to watch anymore. I feel like I'm just watching this really amazing character go through all this pain, the suffering and self-hatred. And then we're supposed to fall on the side of the vampire. So again, I think I'm making a complex situation a little bit more black and white. And once we get to season six, we'll definitely hash it out a little bit more. But that's just a rough episode. It's just, it's a rough episode. It's like, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with Buffy in that episode,
2: but I also don't love how the directors and, and I feel like I need to kind of defend myself and how I view the show. Please don't ever get like as listeners. I adore Buffy. I have way more nice things to say about Buffy the Vampire Slayer than I do bad things. So it's just it's more interesting and thought like provoking if we sit here and discuss the things that are gray. So if you guys are sitting here being like, "Wow, they're only talk about the things they don't like," (laughs) y'all know I could sit here and talk about all the things I do love. So talking about these rough things is is good because then you're like, you know what? Like, let's let's test the waters let's like see and um especially if it's metaphorical we have to sit here and 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 talk about and see is this representing real life situations well is it not let's talk about it um and i think dead things is hard just because like i don't appreciate how the directors put spike as the recipient in that episode and then the episode later and then the episode later with him still having bruises it's just like come on you guys like your metaphors are yeah. kind of coming convoluted to me. Like what yeah. what metaphors are you trying to tell me? Are you trying to tell me it's toxic? Or are you trying to tell me that Buffy's supposed to be toxic to, to Spike? Because Spike has no soul and Buffy is not in a good mental state to be able to consent to a lot of this. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me.
1: It's also hard too because I feel like a lot of times like the whole dead things um, where he's like trying to stop Buffy from going to turn herself in. Cause she thinks she killed Katrina. And he's like telling her at one point he says, you know, it was just one girl. Buffy does one, you accidentally killing one girl negate all of the people you have saved. And it is very reminiscent to the amends speech where Buffy's telling angel, like, don't kill yourself. Think of all the good that you've done. And I think that is another, this is me just being nitpicky. But I do think like it is a huge disservice to people who do like Spike that so much of the Spike and Buffy relationship is often just a rip off of other things like that scene in Dead Things that we're talking about is a ripoff of the men's, but it's also a ripoff of who are you when Faith is punching herself in Buffy's body. So it just feels like, okay, we've already seen these. We've already seen these episodes or these scenes done super, super well and done with a lot of clarity. We absolutely understood what was happening here. But here in this episode, it's like, I don't feel like we need to go back over it again. And I'm also just very confused at what you're trying to tell me. So, yeah, it's hard. I sat for a really long time in my notes going, okay, you always hurt the ones you love, pet, but then anybody who really loved you couldn't do these things to you. And being so mm-hmm. frustrated that I agree with the second one, which is if somebody loves couldn't do this to you. And then we have season six. And then he's like, you know, it just, it felt like, I don't know. I actually
2: agree with both of those. Um, phrases for the mouth that it's coming out of so Spike saying that makes sense and it sets up where he's coming from and then Buffy saying that she's supposed to be more moral she has a soul so I like the fact that they both are coming from both those angles so actually for me it makes me feel a little bit more relieved in season 6 watching it through the lens of that because you're like you know what he's coming out at this angle and so he thinks she loves me <laughs> Which is toxic, you know, um, because she does yada, yada yada, she's hurting you know whatever she's using me, what was me, sort of stuff, but she loves me because you always hurt the ones you love, and then Buffy's like someone who does this doesn't love you, and that's coming out of a place in her life where she's hating herself. um so I think both of those can co coexist um through the
1: idea of other people, not that both of them are correct. Yeah. No, you said that perfectly tabs. And I think it's going to be really interesting getting to season six and kind of like dissecting this and walking through it. Cause I'm, I'm curious to see if like my perspective will shift at all. I'm curious to see if there's anything deeper that we'll dig up and stuff. Um, but from where we are right now, I'm kind of like, Oh, I really like where the metaphor is right now. I kind of just don't want it tainted. All right, let's move on. So I was thinking about how Platt is such a missed opportunity through the rest of the series and how he could have been so well used in season six in particular. It would have been so great, even just the remainder of season three, to see the Scoobies or Buffy just come in and talk with him and work through things. Um, But then I remembered that there was another conversation where Buffy talked with a therapist, and it was in Conversations with Dead People in season seven. And it's really, really interesting. I went back and watched the scenes because I was like, okay, how does it tie in? And actually ties in fairly well to what Platt's saying. So Buffy's talking to Holden, the vampire, about not being connected. And ironically, it is Holden who is the one that tells Buffy that – Scott told everyone that she was gay and that he, and then he, we end up finding out that Scott actually is. And there's a big head canon that everyone thinks that the entire school thought that Buffy was gay because of the argument they had in Deadman's party when Joyce tells or Buffy accuses Joyce of kicking her out and saying to never come back. And I just imagine all the people in the party being like, oh. Buffy's gay. It's then <laughs> tells everybody.
0: <laughs> that's really funny. Honestly, if if I was in the middle of a party and there was like a child and a like parent having that kind of argument, that's what I would assume too.
1: Right? Exactly. uh, and then Buffy's response is: I dated that ringworm. And then Holden says, Yeah, he says that about every girl he breaks up with. And then last year, big surprise, he comes out. <laughs> So another aspect of that conversation that she had with Holden was Buffy talks about how she's not connected to the people around her. She talks about how she is the problem in her relationships. And Holden is the one who actually brings up the concept and the idea to Buffy that she should ease up on herself because she's so young. And he says, what, are you supposed to be settling down already at 21? My girlfriend at college, she's so sweet. We have this great thing, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go vampify her just so we can be together forever. And it kind of leads into the cookie dough speech at the end of season seven when Buffy finally recognizes and realizes, hey, I don't have to have it all figured out right now. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to necessarily be even be in a relationship right now. I need to be focusing on myself. And I think that's something that Platt even is kind of trying to tell Buffy in this episode, where he's telling her, Don't let love master you. And I think that's kind of a really cool continuation of that theme. It's
0: definitely beautiful for someone like Buffy, but it's like, I also want her to be happy and in love.
1: <laughs> Leah's like, but I also like just want her to be with Angel. Like I don't want her to be on her own. Literally. It's also very interesting too at the end of their conversation, uh, Holden tells Buffy, "You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Everyone's got issues as he smacks her in the head with a figurine. But after they fight, Holden talks about how he has no worries because he's dead. He's a vampire. He has no soul. He just wants to know if the hot girl came to his funeral. And Buffy says to him, she goes, see, this is what I hate about you vampires. Sex and death and love and pain, it's all the same thing to you. And I think that's a really interesting Tying in with you know Spike's whole thing about you know you hurt the ones you love, and the entire show is based around the concept of vampirism equals sex, and it's very sexual. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever checked out Passion of the Nerd. I t- quote him all the time, talk about him, but he did a phenomenal video um, on Fool for Love, and he talks about how Spike, when he's changed into a vampire, he's aroused because of Drusilla at the time, and he talks about how Spike dies aroused and that's probably what leads to his confusion between sexuality and violence and it kind of sets the tone for the who vampire spike is going to become and i think that's really interesting like listening to Holden's comment right here and how or i guess Buffy's comment to Holden and how Buffy's just like oh my gosh like that it's just all the same things to you guys and i'm like it's not the same for every single vampire i think that's just probably a uniquely spike thing All right. So let's transition over to something much happier to talk about. I tried to save this for the last part of the the podcast because no one likes to go out on a bummer. So let's talk about Angel since, you know, obviously Angel's coming back in this episode. So Amends really addresses the core thing that Giles talks about, which is there are two types of monster. The first can be redeemed. More importantly, wants to be redeemed, and the second is void of humanity, cannot respond to reason or love, and that's the question we were asked back in becoming part one. Does Angel want to be redeemed? And he in Amends he says, "Am I a man worth saving?" And so it's just we're seeing the slow build up towards Angel the series, and that starts with this episode, and that leads to Amends and carries on. I think it's incredibly interesting that Angel recovers from being in a hell dimension a lot faster than Buffy does in season six. And I think the main difference for that is because he had Buffy there who could relate and help him through everything. And it just makes me really sad that Buffy didn't have anybody. Well, that and it's
0: also like Angel fought his way out, whereas Buffy was ripped out.
1: Ooh, that's a good point, Leah. Ah, I hadn't thought of that before. That makes a lot of sense. So it's also incredibly significant to think about the fact that Angel remembers only Buffy's name. And we've talked about how that's because, you know, he loved Buffy and their love is eternal. But we also discussed in Anne how Buffy's name is synonymous with hope, identity, and liberation. Buffy uses her name and identity to assert her identity, and others like Lily cling to it as a lifeline. Another reason why it's so beautiful that Lily takes on the name of Anne. And her character is used in Angel is because Angel himself is struggling in season two. And I think it's just another picture, as we talked about, of how Buffy's name continues to inspire hope in Angel. The fact that Angel is clinging to Buffy while crying out her name in this episode shows that he is looking to her for hope and identity. Even when he cannot remember his own identity becoming part one was all about whistler asking angel who he is who he's going to become and it's not until angel sees buffy and becoming part one that he wants to become someone and I think that's no accident that it again it is buffy's name that he remembers when he comes out of hell because deep down angel still wants to become someone and he sees buffy as kind of like his beacon of hope she's like his lighthouse. And I think this is going to be further explored and amends. Again, it's Buffy that saves Angel. And I just think that's a really, really beautiful picture over and over again of seeing how Buffy is the one that kind of inspires hope in Angel. And I think that's a lot of the reason why people tend to get on Angel for season two of his show and how he kind of goes off the deep end and becomes really depressed. And I think – if, if we're looking at the fact that Angel is literally looking at Buffy for identity and hope, which is good when he's trying to find himself. But in season two, when he recognizes it may take years for me to get like to work up and get to the Shanshu and then he starts to despair. Season two is all about Angel having to find his own identity in himself and wanting to do good for the sake of doing good, not just because he wants to do good to get Buffy or to to get back with Buffy. And I think that's really, yes. really key.
2: I think season two is a hard pill to swallow the first time you watch. And I think because season one, he's still very much tied to Buffy. And then season two, you watch it and you're like, Angel will never do this. But then like you start to look back on it. And you're like, no, like I totally agree with you, Sarah. You kind of like stole like what I was thinking in my brain. But like he has to realize what his identity is in himself. Not tied through a relationship. And I think it's beautiful that like Buffy brought out the best in him because that's what healthy relationships are like. <laughs> um, but he had to at some point as an adult and as somebody realize the purpose for his own life and in himself, not because of somebody else.
1: And that's what makes that statement so powerful when he tells Kate, if nothing that we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. And I think Angel recognizes that. Just helping one person, saving one life, redeeming one soul is so important. And I, that's something that Anne herself echoes at the very end of the show when she talks to Gunn, when he's like, What would I tell? What would you say if I told you that none of this matters? And she's like, I would just tell you, Can you help me load the truck? So I think it's just a very, very beautiful theme. And it all starts with Buffy. And I think that's so important. All right, guys. That was our spoiler section for Beauty and the Beasts. We hope you guys enjoyed it. That was – a lot heavier than I initially planned on it being. <laughs> so please definitely let us know your thoughts about Fool for Love, about Amends with Angel, even about your guys' thoughts on dead things. We're always curious what you guys have to say. i Tabby's giving me grimace face over there. Um, you guys can find us on Instagram and TikTok and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at Becoming Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate and subscribe and leave a review. That would mean so much to us. As always, guys, have a great week and we will see you next.